Hello, listeners. Welcome to Strength and Recovery Podcast. This is a very special holiday episode, and um, I'm so excited to be here with you today. And I'm so excited to be with Julie Toy, who's been an RCA alum and then a Mission Center employee and then now works at RCA Devon. Um, so thank you for agreeing to be with me and um, to kind of tackle this topic. And, and we wanted to talk about parenting and recovery. And then I think the holidays, there are there is just so much pressure on parents during the holiday season. I don't care if you're in recovery or not. It's, you know, we compare ourselves to all the the other people on social media, whether we want to or not, and what are they doing for their kids? And, you know, what are the holiday expectations? It's just, it it can be a tough time. And so it's like, and it also can be a really joyous time, but um, we want to just talk about the challenges. So Tell us a little bit about you as it relates to um, your parenting. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a single mom and uh, I raised my daughter who just turned 15. Um, I've been pretty much raising her on my own for, I guess, since she was about six um, with the help of my family and stuff like that. And uh, I didn't get sober in her life till she was either nine or 10. Um, so yeah, she was just about 10 years old cause I'm just five years sober now. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a tricky word to navigate. You're responsible for another human, um, and you're barely able to be responsible for yourself. So coming into recovery and really having no life skills, but having this child that I'm responsible for was really tough to try to navigate. And, um, there was a lot of pressure in having to learn those parenting skills really quickly. Um, and I can say like, I got sober in October. So um, the holidays were shortly to follow. Wow. My daughter's birthday is in November. So I had like, I just got smacked right away. And, um, you know, like during my, during my addiction, I was always really good at overcompensating. So I always got her a ton of gifts because I had help from other people who didn't want her to wake up with like, very little under the tree. Um, so when I got sober, I wanted that responsibility to be able to provide that life for her, but I still didn't have those finances together. Um, you know, and early on in sobriety, like when I first got sober and got with my sponsor, she kept saying to me, like, the holidays are just another day. The holidays are just another day. But Mm -hmm. for me, yes, the holidays are just another day for me to work my program and stay in recovery. However, the average normal person, it's not right. They might take that holiday a little bit more to heart. Um, so I have to have that balance. I have to be able to keep my recovery. It just being another day, but I also have to kind of like, for lack of a better way to say it, fake it till I make it through the holiday, um, for my daughter, just because it's something that she still very much enjoys. So it's like, Finding this balance, for a lack of a better word, I like to call it more so harmony versus balance Mm -hmm. um, and trying to make sure that like I can still provide those things for her um, emotionally, the presence, all that good stuff, all the while still making sure that I'm taking care of my recovery. And and I think it's cool. You guys were like doing recovery together, um, you know, and, and so but it is, it is the quality time and kids respond to that, you know, getting out the games, sitting around playing, 
you know, Monopoly, uh, although our family doesn't play Monopoly well, we're too competitive. So that's not allowed. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, um, you know, it, it, you know, I think the pressure is not always from the kids. It's the pressure. And, and maybe, Julie, you can respond to this. But don't you think the pressure is what we put on ourselves, not necessarily coming from the kids at all? 100%. What really came to my mind was the simple fact that like when we are really engrossed in these programs, we're taught that the materialistic world is not a world in which we can be fulfilled in. Right. Mm. So um, the thing that I have learned the most in working the program that I work is uh, really like love. Um, Love is the answer, right? Love is the most powerful thing and experiences. So we can have all the gifts underneath a tree that we think our children are going to want, and that's going to make them happy temporarily. Right. But come Jay, like you were saying, come after the gifts are open and that part of it's done, they almost forget what we even bought them. What they're going to remember are the experiences in which we give them and giving them a sober parent is probably the best gift we can provide any of our children, let alone like our loved ones. And don't you think there's a temptation or maybe guilt comes into play. Well, maybe I haven't been the parent I wanted to be for many years. So now I, I, I've got to, I got to make up for that all in one day or all in one year, all in, you know, and, and maybe it's Hanukkah, maybe it's Christmas. I mean, the holidays become super pressure filled as kind of a redemption of past mistakes. With parenting a little bit too, it's like when you become a mom or when you become a dad, that suddenly you're going to enjoy sitting down and playing Candyland, or you're gonna enjoy the pull. You, I, I don't know. Maybe you did, but I didn't. Like that didn't. Ha- I mean, I, I think there are some. I mean, I could embrace moments and all of that, but it, you know, it's still parenting is work. It's, it's not, you're not going to feel this romantic uh, notion of, oh my word, I just love sitting down and playing Monopoly with my kids. And I, you know, I can do that for about 20, 30 minutes and then I'm ready to move on to the next thing. Right. Can we just be honest? How, and, and those romantic ideas really set us up for not embracing the reality, right? Uh, somebody said, make reality your friend. And the reality is some of this stuff I'm going to enjoy. Some of it's just hard work. Julie, yeah. talk a little bit about the work of parenting a little bit. Oh God. It's, it's probably, no, it's not probably it's by far <clears throat> to, you know, recovery is work and being a parent is work. Both are the most rewarding and exhausting jobs of all time. Right. Right. Um, and it is, it's just a constant, you know, you're, you have a, another human being again, like I said earlier, you're responsible for this human being who's evolving and growing and, you know, their likes change and their dislikes change. And you're trying to keep up with that all the while you are still your own individual person with needs and wants too. Um, and you learn as a parent, what things need to be sacrificed for the greater good of the kid and where you actually need to stand firm within your own truth and your own self. So like, you know, 
the holidays are really tough. And I don't know about anybody else, but I was always that parent who come Christmas Eve, she would go to bed and there I was wrapping 55 gifts. And now I'm up till five o'clock in the morning. And, you know, she could have gone to bed, let's say at 11 and she was, you know, so she should sleep in a little bit, but just like every kid, they're excited. They get up early. Right. And so now it's 6am I've slept an hour and uh, she wants to do all these things. She wants to play the, you know, open the gifts and, and then play games and do this and mommy, mommy, mommy. And it's like, at some point, and it, and it didn't happen right away in recovery. It was a learning process where I had to like take time out for myself. Okay, the gifts are open. Let me get you breakfast. Now I'm going to take some time for myself. I had to make sure that like I was still carving in that self-care, right? Ooh, that's good. Yeah. And it's, it's a balancing act. And like I said, I mean, when I said balance earlier, I'm not sure that there really is a balance because something's always getting neglected, but you have to be very much aware of yourself as like, okay, I've been neglecting myself for X amount of hours or X amount of days or X amount of weeks, because I've been trying to take care of this responsibility, this job that I have, which is to be a good parent that I need to now put the brakes on and say, okay, like I can't do anymore until I do this for myself. I loved what you said about it being harmony, not balance. And, and I'm a music person. So in harmony, like for harmony, the most beautiful harmony has dissonance in it. Like it's yeah. got discord. There are times when you got to put a little something that may not feel exactly right, but for the greater good. And then it resolves and it's like, yeah. oh, wow. Now I know why that note was in there. Or now I know why I had to get that self-care in there because maybe it didn't, maybe it felt like I was being selfish in the moment. But, you know, now I can be present in that second moment. And I've heard often what you put in front of your recovery, you'll lose. And I I think as a parent, that would be an early recovery. Well, I can't put my recovery in front of my kids. Like, I think that would be a very hard pill to swallow. So how do you coach people through that who say, no, my kids, my family come first. But yet now this program is telling me anything I put in front of my recovery, including my family, I'm going to lose. So how did you manage that? Oh, um, (laughs) for myself, it was a no brainer, honestly, because my experience showed me that if, if my recovery doesn't come first, I'm going to keep repeating the same cycle. I had gone to treatment multiple times for family, for my daughter, um, you know, and, and it never worked. It never worked. And uh, when they finally broke it down to me and said to me, like, if your recovery comes first, your daughter will reap the benefits of that. And if mm-hmm. you don't put that first, your daughter will reap the, the non-benefits of your disease. And she had already dealt with a mom and a dad who were active addicts and alcoholics and, um, became homeless as a result of my disease and, and all this stuff was taken away from me by CYS. And so she's had, you know, she's had those non-benefits. I can't think of the other word, but the non-benefits of my disease. And um, my experience showed me that if I didn't put recovery first, I was going to continue to keep losing things. I had already lost my daughter. That's what you did differently. 
I did the first time ever in my life. The last time I walked into treatment and God willing it be the last time um, was that I couldn't get into treatment fast enough that when I finally got here, it took me about five years to get back in. Um, and uh, by the time I walked through the doors, there was just this level of relief. I was like skipping down the hallways. I remember the admissions person who was, who was admitting me was like, I've never seen somebody come in so happy. And I said, you have no idea how hard it was for me to get in here. Um, and I finally wanted it for myself more so than anything. And, you know, like I said, it was taught to me that if I kept doing it for myself, my daughter would have a much better life. <clears throat> and it's, it's reigned true for me today right? Five years later, I work my program very thoroughly to the best of my ability. Um, <clears throat> and my daughter and I, we've been through some challenges with her own mental health. And because I've been able to work a program into her life, I'm like now her safe zone. And it's just, it's so beautiful to, to watch the transformation. But I know we also live in a society where there's so much stigma around recovery. And when someone has lived in active addiction, you know, you hear people say, well, they shouldn't be parent, you know, how did you get through the stigma that I know you had to internalize when you were in active addiction? Um, you know, well, I mean, I think it comes without saying when you're in addiction, you already feel really low about yourself. So throw in parenting and you really, really feel low. Um, I can remember probably about 2017, right before I got sober, um, I had so much shame, so much guilt, embarrassment, you name it. It was all labeled all over me. And um, I just wanted to die. Like I didn't really want to die, but I didn't want to live inside my disease anymore. And I didn't see the way out yet. Um, but what I can say is when I finally made the decision to get treatment, that last time, like I said, God willing, it'd be the last. Um, I didn't care. I had had enough of being beat down by this disease that I just didn't care. I didn't care anymore what people thought of me. I knew who I was. Like, I always say there's almost two different entities that kind of reside inside of me. There's the addict on one side, and then there's the authentic version on, on the other side. And um, I started to really hone in on that softer side of me who knew that like we were a much better person and that we had so much more to offer. Mm -hmm. Um, and that all the stigma labels that came with the disease weren't identifiers of who I internally truly was. So I was able to really look past them and not give a, you know what? Um, I'm hearing that you developed compassion for yourself. I did. I did. Yeah. I did. And probably because I was surrounded by so many other people who had the disease that I could have compassion for that mm -hmm. somewhere my heart started to soften for myself. Um, I can't say it was a Julie thing. It was probably a divine intervention that I'm super grateful that I had. How do you talk to people who maybe they're new in recovery and they have, I mean, you guys are preteen, teen moms. Uh, how would you talk to a child who maybe doesn't know their mom was struggling or dad was struggling or, or maybe didn't know the name for it, right? How do you recommend people talk to their kids about recovery? 
I think it kind of just really for me and my experience, because I help a lot of women who are moms in recovery um, and even even dads, you know, I, I work with guys, too, but more so women when I'm outside in my community. Um, and I think it really all depends. It's kind of case by case. How old is the kid? What have they seen? Um, you know, do I think more than you think they've seen likely, right? Likely. Absolutely. Um, but I think it's, it's a delicate situation, right? Because each individual child that we're going to approach is going to process it differently. Um, I think in a general sense, like, especially when it comes to people coming into treatment, right? What am I going to tell my children? Where am I telling them that I'm going? You tell them that you're going to mommy daddy camp or something like that, or that you have to go into, right? Because here's the thing. It depends on the age of the child. If we Mm. get too involved in the conversation with them, we've now instilled an unnecessary fear inside of them. And we strip the way, strip away their ability to just be a child. Mm. So my daughter was exposed to my drinking and drugging very much so. Um, so when I went to treatment, it wasn't this last time, it wasn't my first time going away on her, right? She had seen me go to treatment since she was two years old up until the time that she was nine or 10. Um, so this wasn't something new to her and she knew that mommy and daddy were sick. Um, and so my explanation to her was that I'm not well, um, but I can get well and I'm going to work towards that And then, you know, the conversation of she became old enough for me to really give her like, hey, your mom's a drug addict and an alcoholic. (laughs) This is is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, whether it's a predisposition that I'm born with through the family genetics or, you know, I don't know. I don't have those answers. Um, But I do tell her that like both of your parents are drug addicts and alcoholics. So the likelihood of you becoming one as well, you have a greater chance than somebody who doesn't have parents who are alcoholics and addicts. Um, And so I really educate her. She's gone to meetings with me. She sees all my sponsees coming to the house. Uh, She she sees my hundreds of big books everywhere. Um, So she's really exposed to the world. She understands what it is. And then my family freely talks about it. You know, do you think that allows her to ask questions and to have a dialogue between the two of you? It does. Definitely. I will say that before I got sober, Um, I think my daughter, we've always had a really strong bond. Um, but I think that she was very fearful of whether mom was going to live or die. Um, today we, you know, other than fluke incidences that may happen, car crashes, you know, whatever, you don't know when your time is up, but she trusts the fact that mom is going to work when mom is done work, mom is coming home. You know, it's very consistent for her, which allows her, um, and I'm very open with my daughter, but she's old enough to understand when she was younger, I didn't communicate too much to her. Um, I remember her dad was very much like he would tell her everything. And that would bother me because I said, you know, you can't, she's a child, mm-hmm. certain information she shouldn't be privy to. Mm-hmm. Now that she's old enough and she's a teenager. Yes. She needs to know that this is part of my life. This is why it's a part of my life. And that the likelihood that it could be part of her life is pretty great too. So I want to and keep that, that education for her. Normalizing. If you're if you're having trouble with that, that's something like a family therapist can really help you. What is age appropriate yeah. communication? How exactly do you talk to and sitting down if you want to make that disclosure, you know, if this is the first time they're hearing mom struggles with, you know, that's something that could be done with a family therapist. 
Yeah. And like I said, I just think it's really case by case, understanding the in-depth of the situation before we go and just, you know, tell our children everything. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it, for me, it's case by case. Let's, let's shift a little bit about, you know, people feeling like the holidays are coming. They're here. Um, they need help but they don't want to leave their children in order to get help. I think that would be so scary. Um, how do you talk through, I mean, you guys help people access care 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, you know, I'm privy to a, a lot of the work that you guys do behind the scenes to help people access care. And I know a lot of the times people will say, I just can't go right now. I got to get through Thanksgiving. I just can't go right now. I've, I've got this family obligation. I can't miss this or I can't miss that. Um, how do you coach people through those moments? You know, a couple of different things. One, are we even going to be present when we're going through these holidays? And how much uh, turmoil are your loved ones going to be going through because you're a mess, right? Um, the other thing that I like to point out to people is like, this is a small fraction of time that if you actually truly invest into yourself during this time, as difficult as it is, um, you don't ever have to do it again. And that time that you go for that short blip on the map, those 30 days um, during that holiday, if you've invested into yourself, you take this serious, you put your recovery first, they'll never remember the time that you weren't there. You can fulfill them moving forward. You can be there for those things. The other thing is too, like we are literally playing Russian roulette with our lives. Mm. I don't care if it's alcohol. I don't, you know, I have many stories about people who were just alcoholics who passed away from the disease Somebody who was very near and dear to my mm. heart fell down her steps, broke her neck, and she died, right? Mm. So, like, these are real things that we don't know um, are or are not going to happen. So, there is the likelihood that maybe this could be the last time that your children might have a parent. Why not give them the best gift of all time? to just invest in yourself for 30 days. And when you get out, it's not just 30 days, right? We know that this is a lifelong journey, but when you get out and you get yourself around these people um, who are going to lift you up until your foundation is solid and you can stand on your own, you can give them a lifetime of that beautiful gift. That's priceless. It is the most priceless gift. You're healing. When you're a parent, I heard this quote, I'm not going to give it to you. I can't remember exactly what it says, but something along the lines of like, your healing is the most beautiful gift you can ever give your children. Because through your healing, you teach your children how to heal and how to be better mm -hmm. people and how to navigate this very difficult life, right? Like life's not easy and the demand on humans and the, you know, all the things that we see these days, which is a little bit different than it was 20 years ago. Um, but if we're not getting ourselves well, we're not giving them any tools either. So ultimately, it's selfish and self-centered. We're stripping away from a responsibility that was a gift from whatever, right? Like I say mine's a God-given gift. It's my responsibility to make sure I take good care of that gift. Um, so doing that for 30 days during the holidays, 
One, your your family is probably going to have the best rest they've ever had mm-hmm. because they know that you're safe. Um, your children will hopefully be getting a, the version of the parent they're deserving of. And you don't ever have to do it again if you actually take the time to invest into yourself. And then you have all of these other holidays that are going to be memorable. Are you going to remember the holiday if you're intoxicated? No, you're not. You're not present. You're not doing anybody any favors. You're being kind of selfish in thinking that you need to be there for that. And then the likelihood that maybe you'll never have another one ever again is what we're seeing time and time again now for so many. I think that really affects, and we see it because women typically have the caregiving responsibilities. It's very hard for women to access care. They're caring for not only their children, but oftentimes the home and and maybe even parents. And, um, you know, they, it's, it's tough for mom to be away. Um, but reiterating the fact this is life or death Mm -hmm. and we don't like to think of ourselves as, as being self-serving, but taking, you know, and you go back to the, put your own life mask on, you know, the airplane announcement, put your life mask on first before you start helping others. And um, yeah, or sometimes we're on borrowed time and, and getting that help as soon as possible, as soon as you're willing um, is really key. So thank you for that message. Talk to me a little bit. Maybe this is not someone in recovery, or maybe this isn't someone um, who needs help. Maybe this is a family member listening to this. Um, what advice do you have for family members who are watching their loved one struggle uh, with parenting, watching their loved one, um, you know, in active addiction? Um, how, how do they help? Oh, again, it, I mean, case by case, right? It depends. Um I think the one thing, and I've worked with a lot of families just within the mission center and then over here in this position now, um, you know, the one thing that I I do try to teach them. So a lot of times what we see is the family members live in this fear and they're like on this balance beam, trying to not push the person further into their disease and all the while still trying to have some type of boundary, um, the one thing that was taught to me was like, never make any threats to them, right? If it's a boundary that you're not willing to hold firmly, then don't make that. Don't throw out the threat. Addicts and alcoholics are really good at manipulating. And when we, we see threats, you know, clear as day, right? Um, The other thing too, and, and this was one of the best things that I had ever learned. And I've been able to use with my own loved ones who are struggling inside their disease is that I'm going to support you 100% in your recovery, but I will not support you in your disease anymore. And that has to be a hard stop. Because um, I think essentially what starts to happen is, is we don't want to see our loved ones die. Um, and that fear just overtakes us. So we actually can start to operate from that fear. And really what that starts looking like is enabling their behaviors. And it doesn't get any better. Um, as scary as it is, you kind of just have to like take that step back and you know, sometimes we'll hear like, well, my, you know, like people will call in and be like, please don't tell my loved one that I called. 
And I get all that. And I will never, you know, if they don't want me to disclose how I found out, I'm not going to. However, at the same time, if we're avoiding these hard conversations, we're allowing the disease to control everybody's lives. Right. So therefore, that person isn't going to make any changes because what they're doing right now is actually still working for them. Talk me a little bit about um, just some practical tips. Like you said, in active addiction, there's this level of manipulation and the holidays can be, oh man, my uh, my lights are going to get turned off. I need money for this or I need money for the kids' gifts. What are some practical tips for family members or people who are watching others struggle? I think that there are people who are so newly into dealing with their loved one's disease and not thinking that they're really even enabling by paying for things or whatever. But if we've been in this situation for some time and nothing's changing and the lights are about to be turned off, the lights have to be turned off, right? Because like Lee was saying, and I said earlier, what you're essentially teaching that person, if we keep doing for them, is that they don't need to change because what they're doing is working. People are still sending those life rafts. So we don't know that anything has to change, right? And what happens is, is we, this is my experience. I blew through so many people, right? So when those people Mm. stopped doing things for me, then I went on to the next person. Then I went on to the next person until I had exhausted all of my options. And I finally went, huh, something's not working here, right? And then I had to actually take a look inward. And it started, I think the, the last people who were really, the ones to stop throwing me those life rafts was my own family. And when I started to feel the weight of my family and seeing the disappointment and them not wanting me around them, um, I wasn't really welcomed at a lot of places. If I was, all eyes were on me. What is she up to? How long has she been in the bathroom? This, that, and the other. Um, that I started to realize that something else needed to change and I had to uh, go inward for that. Allowing the person you love to fail. Yeah. So here's the analogy that I've used for loved ones. When we have babies who are learning to walk and they fall down, we do not pick them back up because they need to learn to walk on their own. That does not change when we become adults. It just becomes a different scenario. And as our children are becoming adults in active addiction, they ha- they're they still individuals. There's still accountability. They still have to learn to be responsible for themselves. And it hurts to watch people fall. It does. With every fiber of our being, we want to pick that person up and hug them and be like, here, I'm going to help you. But I can only help you if you're willing to make the change for the greater good. I can't support the disease anymore because you can't hear, you can't hear or see any of the good that's happening anyway. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's beautiful. Really is. Julie, thank you so much for talking to us today. Um, I, I, I just, I think that's a, it's such an important conversation and um, thanks for your vulnerability and your, your openness. I really applaud you and, and honor you for being willing to share your story. And um, thank you so much. Uh, we usually end with favorite recovery quote, but because it's the holidays, favorite holiday song. Mine's actually Silent Night. It gets me every time, uh... every time. I can't help but cry every time I hear it. That's beautiful. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you or someone you know needs help, please call 1-833-RCA-ALUM. If you're a loved one and your loved one needs help, we have free intervention services we can connect you with. Um, 
to have those conversations uh, with your loved one. Just want to make sure that you uh, and your loved ones are safe this holiday season. Please give us a call. The Alumni Association, our alumni coordinators are standing by to help reach out. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Strength and Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please tap the subscribe button and leave us a review. We love hearing from our listeners and hope to reach more of you out there as we continue to share these incredible stories of recovery. The RCA alumni team aims to provide a safe, supportive environment for those in the recovery community, regardless of their affiliation with RCA. We host a full calendar of virtual and in-person meetings seven days a week, 365 days a year, as well as free sober events every month. To learn more about what we do, find us at rcaalumni.com. Remember, if you or a loved one is struggling with addiction, pick up the phone and dial 1-833-RCA-ALUM. Help is available 24-7. Listen to another episode now or join us next time for the Strength and Recovery Podcast.